Praise the Lord, everyone. You may be seated. It's so wonderful to be here and, and uh, to see your beautiful new church and to see all of you. And I hear lots of congratulations are in order from weddings to babies. Lots of babies. What a wonderful time. We're all thrilled. I'm ready for lots of babies and weddings. Hallelujah. Especially after a pandemic. Uh, I have had a thought on my heart and sister Rachel were you able to create me something there praise the Lord go ahead and put that up if you will um, if you look behind me am I standing right in front of can you see it okay well this is kind of interesting uh, pastor Showstrand is has been teaching on changing your mind and he put up this image and it has stuck with me, so I wanted to share with you what I think the Lord has given to me, at least what has ministered to me. This is a cylinder. Can you all see that? That's a cylinder. When the light hits it from this direction, can you see what it looks like? It looks like a square or a rectangle, doesn't it? When you shine the light from this direction, what does it look like? It looks like a circle. So depending on where the light hits is what determines what you see. Well, both things are true. It's a square or a rectangle, depending how it's elongated. And it's also a circle. That's true, but that's not what that, it, that object is. It's both and neither. Now, that's kind of strange, and it struck me so much because... We are living in an hour when people are absolutely convinced that what they see is the truth. And so I just want to share a simple thought with you. I'm just going to call this true versus truth. And I want to start with Job, the first chapter, verses 1 through 3. And then I'm just going to share this thought with you because... If you look, it says, this is true of the square, this is true of the circle, but the cylinder says, this is truth. It's kind of like the story of five blind men who were led into a room, and each of them were permitted to touch an elephant, and then they were asked to describe what that animal is. And one said, oh, it's very skinny and long you can guess what he got a hold of and the other said oh no it's 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 just like a cord with a little fur on the end you know what he got a hold of and another said oh no it's huge around like an enormous tree trunk and you can imagine what he got a hold of and one said that's not it at all it's very flat and it's a very large surface that's real flexible so from trunk to tail to leg to ear, they each had a hold of a portion of a perception. It was all true, but it wasn't the truth. Do you understand me? All of it was true. All of that was true. From the trunk to the tail, their description was true, but that wasn't the truth. What they felt was not complete. Although they tried to say, if I felt that, therefore it's truth. But the truth was something way beyond what all five of them could perceive. Job 1 verses 1 through 3 says this. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. So let's just start from the description of the man. 
The Bible said he was perfect and upright. That means he was mature. Perfect means that his response to God and man was mature. It wasn't, he wasn't a child and he wasn't childish. He was completely mature. He was righteous. Upright means in the eyes of God, he was correct toward God and he was correct in his behavior toward his fellow man. He feared God, that's a third description of him, and then he loathed evil. It sounds like a complete package to me. He was everything that a righteous person should be. Now let's talk about his family. Obviously had a wife because he had seven sons and three daughters. If you look at his household, he was a man of means. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which means that he had 1,000 cows or 1,000 oxen. 500 female donkeys, his household, he had many servants and many possessions. Now what we call true is what happens to each of us from our perspective. That's what we call true. Some of you will say that there, if I ask you to tell me a description of this room, I am going to get numerous differences because some of you are going to focus on the carpet, some of you are going to focus on the fan, some of you are going to see the stained glass behind me, some of you will describe the, it's all true, but that's not the room, right? So here are the facts. In this first chapter, here's what's true. There was a meeting between Satan and God, and God said, have you considered Job? And he said, yeah, but you put a hedge around him. From my perspective, says Satan, the only reason he serves you is you never let anything bad happen to him. And the Lord said, well, let me tell you, from my perspective, go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. Just don't take his life. In the first chapter, this man goes from a man of prominence to a man who has lost everything in one chapter. That's the entire first chapter. The last verse of that first chapter says, Job fell on his face and worshiped and said, Naked I came into the womb and naked shall I return. The Lord, get the Lord taketh away. Then what did he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this Job did not sin with his mouth. Now, I'm going to tell you, to me, Job's perspective was the one that was most important because Job was the one that was carrying the emotional, mental weight of what happened to him because in that first chapter, he lost everything. His ten children, now it would be bad enough to lose one, but to lose all of them, those of you that are getting ready to have a baby, if you lose that child before birth, I'm sorry. I, I'm not one of those people that says, get over it. There's real suffering there. Be, you, there's love. There's concern. There's care. Yes, with time maybe and distance, but I'm going to tell you something. Children that have perished and their parents are still alive, I'm not sure you ever get over that. Job's perspective must have been devastating because all he could see is what was true. It's true. I lost 10 children. It's true. I lost 7,000 sheep and all but one of the servants. They were burned alive. Now, I'm sorry, that would just traumatize me. I would be so traumatized by just one loss they were burned alive. The Chaldeans killed all his servants and stole his camels. Well, I, I would suffer the loss of the camels because that's part of how you have clothing and milk and food. But the loss of the servants, the people, oh my word. Then the Sabaeans came and killed all the servants and took the oxen so they saved the animals and killed the people. 
And then the Sabaeans took the female donkeys while the oxen were plowing. The donkeys were grazing in the field and they killed all the servants of each and then took the animals. And that's when Job fell on his face. Verse 2 opens with the passage of time. Go to the sixth verse, chapter 2, I mean. Chapter 2, verse 6. And the Lord said to Satan, Satan comes back and the Lord said, Did you consider Job? Even though you moved me against him, he's maintained his integrity. And so the devil says the only reason why he's maintained his integrity is you've kept him alive. Skin for skin. Touch him and he'll curse you to your face. That's Satan's perspective. You need to look already. He looks at the goodness of God. His view is that nobody would willingly serve God. Remember that. That's going to be important because his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. So his viewpoint is the only reason why anybody lives for God is what they get out of it, not because they love him. Now, you can call that practical. I call it it's satanic. That's his view. You only do it because of what you get. You only do it because you're afraid not to. You only do it because you're afraid of hell, not because you love him, not because you have any relationship with him. And quite honestly, it never says that God ever talked to Job. The Holy Ghost had not been given. There was no relationship. So you have to ask yourself, why did this man even have a connection with God since it was all about sacrifice and service and that's how he treated God? And yet, so the Lord says to Satan, he's in your hand, verse 6. Save his life. So went Satan, verse 7, forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot. That means he couldn't put his foot down without the agony of a boil. Now, a boil is different than just an ingrown hair, or I'm telling you, it's full of infection, it's feverish, it's, it's filled with pus, frankly, it's gross, it's a third world condition, I'm sure he had fever. And if you can imagine, from the bottom of his foot to his hair, in his hair, on his scalp, and all parts in between. So that meant there was no place he could sit where he wasn't sitting on a boil. Infection and pain and fever, that would have been enough. But can you imagine what he looked like? So whatever physical favor he might have had, this destroyed it. There was nothing attractive about him by now. He smote Job, verse 8, and he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself. So the only way he got relief was to take a broken piece of pottery and scratch off the top of those boils so they could run. Is that gross enough for you? Pretty gross. And then he sat down among the ashes. There was no place left. You know, during that time, you could show your grief by putting it on your head. He just said, it's not even worth the effort. I'm just going to sit in the ashes. I've lost everything. Now, if that weren't enough, verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? You're still going to act like everything's okay. We've lost our kids. We've lost our wealth. We are impoverished. You are disfigured. You are loathsome. Why don't you just curse God and die. Now that's something when the person that's supposed to help you says, die. 
drop dead. Just die. I don't want to take care of you anymore. No mercy, no kindness, no compassion, because from her perspective, she's lost everything, and her husband won't stand up and shake his fist at God. And he answered her, and he said, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from the hand of the Lord and not also accept evil? He's saying, God has allowed this. Now, I want you to look at that perspective. So he was looking at what was true. None of this is a lie. Everything I just read to you happened. The physical pain, the loss of everything, the conversation with his wife, these are all true. Say, these are true things. You need to know that. His body was stricken. His marriage was in jeopardy. His reputation was besmirched. His friends misjudged him, and they were sure he'd done something wrong. Nobody can go through that and people not step back and go, well, he must have done something. He had, there had to, something's wrong with this man for all of this to happen. Now, I'm just telling you, this sounds like a conversation that we could have down at the gas station with a donut and a cup of coffee. I think people still look at folks that are suffering and say, well, you must have done something, you know, because God is good. Then from chapter whatever, three all the way up till 30-something, the people that were supposed to encourage him to keep living just keep telling him, why don't you just repent because you know you sinned. Pray. If you'll just pray. When you're talking to somebody who's hurting and you tell them, pray. Oh, Lord. Tell somebody who's suffering physically, if you just had enough faith, oh, see, pain will change your perspective. Pain will shut your mouth. Pain will make you curl up in a knot. But people who have never suffered pain cannot comprehend how isolating it can be, how hurtful it can be. I'm talking about the way you see things. Remember, we talked about what's true. The square rectangle is true, and so is the circle. But neither one is the truth, because the truth is bigger than either. Now, there was a moment in this book, and I didn't want to read it because we've been through a pandemic, and our church has been extremely hard hit during the pandemic, not necessarily from coronavirus, but if one person dies in the middle of a pandemic, it strikes fear in the hearts of people, even if it may not have been coronavirus. Because we are being told that death is imminent for all of us. The message is there's no safe place. And then when we all get vaccinated, they tell us you're still not safe. There's a variant. Uh, you say, well, they found out that my vaccine will address that variant. Oh, but wait, there's another variant. It's almost like for everything you address, there's something else to dismantle the one thing that's holding people together. Faith in God. And I'm going to be honest with you. We've had folks in our church come and ask us, do I take the vaccine? What do I do? And we say, you have to get along with your God and whatever decision produces peace in you, that's the one you're going to have to follow because there are going to be consequences if you take it and there are going to be consequences if you don't. Which means that at some point when you strike a direction, you can't be looking at somebody's perspective to determine the truth. Because what you're hearing in the news media is perspective. 
It's when people take all kinds of things that are true or that they tell you are true, and then they draw a conclusion from those things. And then they tell you, you need to believe what I'm telling you. But they never acknowledge that's my perspective. And my perspective may or may not be coming from that direction, but from this one. Because if you don't know Jesus, then all you know are facts from your eyes, your ears, your hands, and what you process. Is that true or is it truth? That's what I said. I was going to ask you to consider the truth versus what is true. Now, there was a moment of revelation. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we have had a lot of loss. We still have people that are afraid to come to church. We still have people that are watching online and are afraid to walk in without a mask. Maybe the Midwest and the East is a little bit different here. I noticed that, that a lot of people in this area, as I go further south, there seems to be a, 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 a feeling of we've had enough and we're not doing it anymore. And it's only been recently when I travel that I'm not wearing a mask because the people that I go back to need to know that I'm not being exposed to all kinds of things and then exposing them. But the truth of the matter is I have believed a long time ago that the Lord is going to have to direct my steps, but out of love and respect for them, okay, because I'm not, I'm not I don't know what they're, perspective is I don't know whether they're looking at this thing from a square or a circle you follow me Job had a moment with God that changed his perspective now when you're suffering this is what becomes important if you've never suffered loss and if nothing happened to you in 2020, then you can file your nails and write your grocery market list because what I have to say to you is not going to be meaningful. But if you have wondered how you wound up where you are and where is God, then this is for you. Job poured his soul out. He never did cuss God. He never did blame his wife. He did not blame his friends. But he said, as long as I live, I'm going to stand in front of him and say, you are the source and you are the answer to this. Well, now, wait a minute. We just read that Satan came to God and said, let me at him. We saw Job's wonderful life from Satan's view. Satan's view is hateful and cynical and destructive. You're only doing that for what you can get out of it. If you ever hear that voice, I can tell you the source of it. It's demeaning, demoralizing, and destructive. I already know who's talking. I don't care whose lips are moving. I know the source of that voice. And Job listened. He took all this haranguing all of this discussion from all his friends who tried to break down what happened to him and lay it as his feet, they would not say God allowed this. But Job said it. He said, my contention is with you, Lord. You have something in mind. I want to, I want to talk to you and I want you to talk to me because in those days, God did not talk to people like that. He talked to a prophet in a dream. He would speak in a vision to one man or one woman. Not every night, not every day, certainly not every week, maybe once a month. And it was the voice of judgment and woe and woe is me. It could be promise and it could also be tribulation. But it wasn't like you got to come to church and three times a week you would hear a word that you knew was from the Lord. Because the Bible consisted of just the first five books. 
Job said, I want you to talk to me. You've allowed this. Whether you authored it or not, it comes under you because I'm your servant. That's what his perspective was. I did not serve my wife. I didn't do these things. I did this because I know you are God. I'm not close to you. I fear you. The Bible said he would do sacrifices when his kids would get together and eat and drink because he'd say, I know they're all having a party. I'm going to slay a lamb just in case one of those kids has said something. That doesn't sound like an intimate relationship with God to me. That sounds like I know you're God and you can destroy and create and I'm going to offer you a sacrifice on behalf of my children, but I really don't know you. But I revere you anyway. After all this conversation and this pouring out, he did not hold back any of his words. He described his agony. He described his suffering. He described what it felt like. He said things like, when I go to bed, I can't wait to go to bed. And then when I get in the bed, I can't wait till the morning comes. I can't rest. I'm sleepless. I'm in agony. If I can find a, a place, then he'd say things like, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I would have been miscarried. I wish that nobody rejoiced the day of my birth. I mean, you can say this is depression. Say whatever you want. This is a human being in ultimate agony. That's his perspective. And then he says, you fenced me in. He directs his attention to God. He says, I can't, he said, I can't find you. I look for you and I can't find you anywhere. David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Then David also said, if I just had the wings of a dove, I would escape where I am. Don't raise your hand. Anybody wish they could escape from a few things in the past year? If I could just get away. If I could just, but, but if the problem, if you're bringing your perspective with you, changing your location won't change your view. As far as you're concerned, you're in agony. All you can see is 10 dead children, 7,000 dead cattle, 5,000, 3,000 sheep, and a pile of dead bodies of people that used to serve you. I'm sorry. I think that the that true is that is a traumatic event that's going to take a lifetime to get over. I think that's true. Because I'm putting myself in his shoes and I'm saying, I don't know that I could come back from that. And then suddenly, out of the whirlwind, the Lord begins to speak to a man who's never heard him before. And from like the 38th chapter to the 41st, God begins to describe by asking a question, where were you? when I laid the foundations. So he didn't go, you puny little worm. I made heaven and earth. He would ask a question and then paint a picture. Where were you when I made the stars? So by asking questions, God took Job on the ride of his life. Because by asking the questions, Job could see a visual image of stars being formed and rivers and lakes, and streams, and mountains, and valleys. And God did this incredible description of all that he'd done. And then he ended by saying in one little section, can you make a snowflake? Then immediately after that, if you can do one of these things, I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Well, I didn't think this was about salvation. I thought this was about getting over the dead kids and the dead sheep and the missing camels and oxen and donkeys and all the dead people. He said, you are looking at it from this way. Now let me let you see what it looks like from this way. 
And when God got finished, just talking. Job 42, verses 2 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. Now, wait a minute. Where's the question about where are my sons and daughters? Where are they? Where is the question about where are my servants? Where's the question about where are the cattle and the sheep and the oxen and the little donkeys? What? After all that, he doesn't see them ever again. I see you. And I know you can do everything. Now, when you and I leave the square and the circle, and what God did for Job was to take him out of the box that says, this is true. And this is true. Because what God does for us is everybody in this world, their view of their life is like people sitting at a stoplight at four different places in an intersection. And there are four different views of that intersection. There's north, south, east, and west. And as long as you and I can only see where we're sitting, then we cannot recognize the truth that is greater than what is true. What God did for Job is to pick him up from the north or the south or the east or the west and say, let me take you up to a place where north, south, east, and west are meaningless. Let me show you what I see from here when I look down and I see all of it, not just some of it. Let me show you what I see. And then Job's first words were, you can do Everything. Who's ever come out of a trial saying you can do everything? What do you see? He said, no thought can be withholden from you. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Because God asked Job, who is this? Who obscures counsel? Who is this that's asking questions that reveal their ignorance? Who's talking to me? And Job answered him, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? I have uttered what I understood not. He said, God, it's me. I saw only what I thought to be true, but you are bigger than what I see. You are bigger than what I feel. You are bigger than what I hear. You are bigger than what I know. And suddenly I have seen something bigger than my loss. He said, I uttered what I didn't understand, things that were too wonderful for me. They're beyond my knowledge, things I didn't know. Here I beseech thee, verse 4, and I will speak. I will demand of you and declare thou unto me, verse 5. I have heard of you, but for the first time I see you. 
I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Hallelujah. 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 I see you. Finally, I look past my dead kids. I look past my broken body. I look past the things that have hurt my feelings. God, if I could get my eyes on you, I can get out of the box of what is true to me and I can see the truth truth is not truth is not a what truth is a who Jesus said in the book of John hallelujah 14 and 6 I am the way the truth at some point whatever you're going through whatever you've been through whatever you're coming out of or going into there is a truth that is bigger than your fact and I'm inviting you tonight to take your fact into the truth let me tell you what the truth says the truth is all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's lift our hands right now. I'm telling you the truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you the difference in true and truth. Genesis 50 and verse 20, out of the voice of dead Joseph, who has been gone for millennia, he said this, Genesis 50 and verse 20, as for you, talking to his brothers, you did sell me into slavery. You did reject me. You did mock me. You did make fun of me. You did throw me in a pit. You did leave me there at 17 crying and pleading for mercy. You did abandon me. You did rip me out of my father's house. You did all these things. You crushed me to the ground. You separated. You lied on me. You took me away from my family and ripped the coat my daddy gave me. You did it. You meant this for evil. But God is the truth. And God meant it for good. He told I'm telling you right now, if you get a hold of the truth, then the fact can't hurt you. Whatever you're going through in your body, whatever you're going through in your mind, whatever you're going through in your finances, if you get a hold of the God that said, I am that I am, he then the fact cannot stand against the truth. Hallelujah. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. He told him, Oshaya. Hallelujah. He said, it's true. You meant to hurt me. You meant it. You know what most people do? They cannot get past what's true. We get cancer just like everybody else. We die of coronavirus just like everybody else. Our bodies fail just like everybody else. But the difference in us and everybody else is God has said, whatever the world means to it, I mean good to you. I know the thoughts I have to you, thoughts of good and not evil. I know the plans I have for you. I won't let anything touch or destroy you. It sounds nuts to turn to disciples after he's just told Peter, when you get old, buddy, somebody's going to bind your hands and take you where you don't want to go. And then turn around and tell the whole crew, they're going to throw you in synagogues. They're going to beat you. They're going to kill you. But don't be afraid. Not a hair of your head will perish. Well, no, what? I'm not worried about my hair. You just said we're all going to die, but we're not going to perish. One thing is true, and one thing's the truth. The truth is always bigger than what is true. 
His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's the truth. Now, what is true is, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your heart, and the thoughts and intents of many are going to be revealed, but the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's the truth. I don't care who gets elected to office. The truth has never changed. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last. The I am, the author, the finisher. That's the truth. You better buy the truth and sell it not. Oh, lift your hands and just shout to the Lord right now. Let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. I came to tell you the truth. You may be diagnosed with cancer right now. Some of us may have a diagnosis in our bodies that we don't even know about things that are happening. But my Bible tells me in 1 Peter 4 and 9, I believe it is, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. It's 4, 12, and 13. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Now that's true. fiery trial true I'm not going to try to I'm not going to I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room some of us may die with cancer some of us may have arthritis some of us may have rheumatoid arthritis some of our knees may give out we're not going to live forever this is true not down here we're not hallelujah but he said verse 13 but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that's the truth that when he comes you may be glad with exceeding joy the truth is whatever we're going through is to produce joy unspeakable and full of glory oh lift your hands again I feel the Holy Ghost in this house hallelujah hallelujah Sheila Mahaya John 16 and 33 Jesus said this in John 16 33 these things I've spoken unto you in me you might have peace here comes something true in the world Now, there's a gospel going around, just like the gospel of Elihu and Bildad and the third one, Eliphaz. If you do right, you're going to have a prosperous life. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Jesus was perfect and was beaten and hung on a tree and murdered. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. That if you're pleasing to God, your life should be a bed of roses. If you're pleasing to God, you're going to suffer with him. Now that's, he said, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have money troubles. You're going to have health troubles. You're going to have family troubles. As long as the world turns, there's going to be a bad boss, a bad neighbor. You're going to have issues. Here's the truth, though, that completely takes us out of the box of, oh, God, help. Look here. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's why he's saying it can't hurt you. It cannot hurt you. That's the truth. Oh, lift your hands right now. You and I are being challenged right now. To take the facts of our lives and put the light on them. And yet more. You may be seated for just a minute. I'm going to finish. I don't want to keep you standing. I couldn't stand as long as you are right now. This is what moves me. If you've ever had your feelings hurt. If you've ever been done wrong. 
and all you can see is your loss. Then you have focused on what is true. But you have not seen the truth. Because the truth is, he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I have carved you in the palms of my hand. As long as we see what we call true, then we will always wind up bitter, angry, unforgiving. You know what's hard? Wronged you is dead. And there's no place to go to find relief from the pain of what you did to me. But if you ever get your eyes on the one who made snowflakes and stars, you know what he said in Revelation? Behold, here's the truth. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door. Yeah, but I want you to talk to me about my, about what hurt me. I want you to, you missed the point. I want him to take me out of the box where they put the little cylinder and shine a light and then tell me that's what you've got to believe. Because that's what psychology does. Did that happen to you? This is the way you'll be for the rest of your life. And they put a label on wounded, vulnerable, disabled. When the one that said, would you like to be healed? Walks past, well, no, I, I can't. That's not even an option for me. Look, I'm going to do something for you, son. Satan is trying to destroy you. I'm going to let him at you. But do you know what the end of Job's story is? The end of the story is that Job fell down and said, I abhor myself. I see you now. I had no idea that you could do all this. I'm not seeing my dead kids. How can you not? Because if you know the truth, then you know they're somewhere safe. That the day he took them... He made them. See, if you don't know that he's the giver of life, then when you lose stuff or people do stuff to you, you just focus on that. And that's what the devil wants. You just keep your eye down there. See what he did to you. Because you know what this is all about. At the end of the day, most of us get to the point where we go, God, but then we draw this conclusion. Oh, so you don't love me anymore. So you let this happen to me. And the devil's right there because he wants to make sure that you never turn around and go, show me the real you. So that when he lifts you up, you're not thinking about, they beat the tar out of me. You come out of it and God lets you see from Joseph, you were trying to kill me, but the Lord sent me ahead of you to save much people alive. God has used what you did to me to turn things. You got to lift your hands right now. Feel the Holy Ghost. Do you really want to carry your wound from 30 years? I walked into this house with healing right now. I want to know if you want to have an excuse for bad behavior. If you want to, you've got an enemy that's going to tell you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The Holy Ghost is in here. I came here today to tell you that there is healing. I don't care what people did to you. I don't care if they actually meant to do it. I know you have hurt. I understand it. I understand it all that there is a Job in this room here right now that the Lord says if you will give that to me and you will lay down your right to be bitter and angry, I will show you something that will take the place of all that you have lost. Oh. Woo.
talk to you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Sister LaCarol, if you could turn some of these lights down. I don't know if you do it at the front or at the back. I just feel like the Lord has invited us to come into a secret place with him. I don't want to see things from my view anymore. make all my goodness pass before thee and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and the strangest thing he said and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy see I think Job the devil tried to destroy him but I think God took him on a whirlwind tour of creation and turned it into a the most beautiful thing Job had ever experienced in his life. And then the Lord turned to Job and said, I want you to go pray for your friends because they didn't please me. I know they hurt you, but they need prayer. So as part of Job's healing, he sent him to the very people that wounded him. And he told those men, you go get a sacrifice for me. My servant's going to pray for you. And then the Bible said, after Job prayed for those that wounded him, the Lord turned his captivity. Ten more sons and daughters were born to him. And the Bible said he lived to a ripe old age. In the book of James, James said, take for an example of suffering the prophets and Job. He said, for consider the end of the Lord. What does that mean? Consider there's an end to the story. He said, you've seen the patience of Job and you've seen that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. When I saw this in the word of the Lord, I just wept. I don't deserve to see this. But there's something past the square and the circle. Hallelujah. Right where you are, I don't know what you're going through. I came to you because I love you. You're my people. Great is your mercy. 